This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Derek Dorch of the Diversa Group, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Now your host, Derek T. Dorch. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on the Federal News Network. Thank you for joining the show today. Today we're going to be talking about what's going on with the Biden administration. The president-elect is going to be taking office, uh, you know, in the upcoming weeks. And we want to try to figure out what's going to be happening in terms of him and also the federal government and some moves that he's going to make, be making with the Defense Department and also national security going forward. We've got on the line with us John Harper. He's a managing editor of the National Defense Magazine uh, that comes out of the National Defense Industrial Association. And he's going to be talking to us about what he's seen as it relates to the Defense Department and President-elect Biden and what moves he may be making kind of going forward in 2021 and beyond. John, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on the show again, Derek. Always, always, always a pleasure. Hey, John, you've been monitoring what's going on. I mean, we've been hearing certain things. Uh, the president-elect has come out with some press conferences and kind of even said that he's been having a little bit of a, a resistance with the Defense Department kind of going forward with the uh, current administration. And he's trying to figure out what's going to be happening with the Defense Department. What are you seeing in terms of his priorities as he's dealing with a number of different threats that are out there in the world? Uh, well, just, uh, you know, to kind of provide some historical context, uh, typically, uh, you know, during a presidential transition period between the election of a new president and the uh, uh, the current president leaving office, you know, the current administration generally briefs the transition team and, you know, future officials that are preparing to take office just to give them an update on everything that's going on, you know, current operations, uh, future plans, threats, etc. And that has been going on. Um, however, you know, this year, the process was uh, delayed getting started. Uh, you know, it was several weeks uh, after the election before the GSA certified that the transition could go ahead, um, you know, after President Trump was disputing the results. So they were a little bit late getting started this year. You know, the Defense Department has been uh, providing briefings, the Trump administration, uh, the Biden folks, uh, including President-elect Biden, have been complaining that, uh, you know, they haven't been uh, receiving, you know, enough briefings or as many as they would like. And he came out with a very forceful statement saying that, you know, the Trump administration was behaving irresponsibly and that they had encountered roadblocks from political leadership at the Pentagon and the Office of Management and, Management and Budget. The Trump administration pushed back strongly on that, acting Secretary of Defense. Uh, Christopher Miller issued a statement saying that since, uh, you know, November 23rd, the department has conducted uh, more than 160 interviews with over 400 officials, responded to uh, nearly 200 requests for information, and provided over 5,000 pages of classified and non-classified information. So they're disputing that characterization, but, uh, you know, obviously... Uh, there's some acrimony there. There was a, a bit of a pause uh, in some of the briefings around the holidays. So I don't know if that's part of the source of the uh, frustration from the Biden folks. But clearly, you know, the two camps uh, don't seem to be getting along too well at this point. 
John, you've been covering this for a long time. And let me ask this question of you. Have you ever seen uh, this level of uh, either uncooperation or this level of contention between uh, kind of, you know, an outgoing administration and an incoming administration kind of going forward? Have you ever kind of seen this kind of dynamic that we have right now where it seems as if uh, one party is putting in new people, right? You know, I mean, because we've been hearing about the Trump administration putting people on different councils and boards and, and, and this, that, and the other, and then also firing certain people and putting new people in within weeks of them having to leave office. And then also, too, the Biden team is also saying, well, listen, we can't get the help that we need to deal with the national security. Have you ever seen anything like this before? Not to this degree. I mean, there have been some rocky transitions, you know, in the past, uh, obviously, after the uh, election in 2000, uh, between George W. Bush and uh, Al Gore, um, there was a lot of acrimony there, just given the, the narrow results and all the, the issues about the vote counting. Um, and so, you know, that one uh, didn't go so smoothly. President uh, Obama gave President Bush a lot of credit during their transition back in 2008, 2009, uh, just in terms of how cooperative they were. You know, the Trump administration has, you know, recently, you know, complained about their treatment. Uh, You know, the Biden or the uh, Obama folks, you know, have said they tried to be as cooperative as possible. But uh, I don't think I've seen a level of contention this severe for a variety of reasons without question. And just, I know we don't know for facts, uh, John, but in terms of these last minute, either appointments to boards and everything else, because I'm assuming that once a president elect becomes president, uh, president elect Biden becomes president, all these people being put onto these boards who are Trump appointees are probably going to be removed very, very quickly what do you think is kind of going on with these last minute appointments to certain kind of either board? Is it, is it more just kind of title prestige? Is it, are they trying to give them access to certain kind of things? What's your thoughts on that? It does seem as though they're trying to, you know, reward some uh, loyalists who have uh, supported them. Uh, you know, Biden um, I'm sure will, you know, bring in uh, or you know nominate or appoint uh uh, his own uh, people to the board. There generally is some continuity between, um, you know, administration. So it won't necessarily be a clean sweep. But yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, they have been making a lot of changes on various uh, defense boards uh, pretty late in the administration. You know, I'm not exactly sure what the aim is there, you know, with some of the folks. Right, right. I, I was just wondering myself, I didn't know if you got any insight if this was just, like you said, a reward of a title. I mean, the titles are prestigious, but um, it, it just seems as if these guys are not going to really get a chance to do too much stuff before they, they're going to be possibly asked to leave out of those boards, you know, kind of going forward. So let's dive into what Biden is talking about. I know he's been laying out some game plans as it relates to uh, what he wants to do with defense. And I know we just had some recent um, funding just passed. What's, what are we looking at in terms of Biden's kind of thoughts and where he and what issues he feels like are the priorities to deal with kind of going forward? Well, Congress uh, just passed and uh, President Trump signed into law um, an appropriations omnibus bill that included about $740 billion for defense in fiscal year uh, 2021, which we're currently in 
right now. Um, and that includes Defense Department spending, spending plus spending on other uh, programs, you know, such as, uh, you know, nuclear warhead programs and other things that fall sort of within the defense category, uh, but not necessarily directly within the Defense Department's uh, purview. And that's, you know, roughly what it was in fiscal year 2020. And a lot of observers, um, you know, analysts expect that defense spending will remain uh, pretty flat or maybe even decline a bit in coming years um, so that the Pentagon might not see as much uh, budget growth as it uh, has experienced um, in the past. Um, So that will certainly force some uh, prioritization if that does pan out. Um, And there are, you know, certain capabilities that President-elect Biden has been really highlighting uh, that he wants to focus on, um, including cyber, you know, expanding Mm -hmm. capacity and uh, capabilities of U.S. cyber forces. Climate change has been an issue that he's been highlighting, kind of, you know, in some ways maybe expanding the, the definition of what is traditionally, you know, been viewed by some at least as a national security issue. Democrats tend to put climate change into that category uh, and uh, Republicans perhaps not so much. Um, Obviously the pandemic, you know, is still raging, you know, vaccines are being rolled out, but that's uh, still going to be a huge issue on uh, Biden's plate when he comes into office and then, you know, subsequent months. Um, so, you know, that, you know, perhaps will be, uh, you know, at the top of his priority list, uh, you know, dealing with all the, the challenges and, and fallout from that. But he's also indicated, you know, a desire to focus on sort of developing next generation military capabilities, uh, getting rid of some legacy systems. And that's, you know, not entirely you know, different than what the Trump administration was doing. Uh, You know, they gave a big boost to Pentagon uh, R&D budgets and have been trying to trim back some of the uh, spending on older systems to try to kind of, you know, modernize the force to prepare for a potential conflict with advanced adversaries like China and and Russia. Obviously, you know, for uh, much of the Bush and Obama administration's counterterrorism was kind of the main focus. So the Trump administration, you know, shifted that with their national defense strategy. And I think uh, you'll see a lot of continuity uh, in many respects um, with the Biden administration. So it's, it's not as though the change in administration is going to completely reorient uh, U.S. defense policy and national security policy, but there will be some uh, significant changes as well, some of which I've already noted. So I've got to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to kind of keep on going down this. And I actually want to cover a couple of things you've been talking about. You mentioned about China and you mentioned about the dynamics because China has really been increasing their naval forces. And I know you covered uh, some of the kind of the new uh, uh, shipbuilding plan for the U.S. Navy. So I want to dive into that because as the new administration comes in, they're going to also probably inherit that kind of dynamic And I want to kind of talk about, you know, are we looking at a whole new dynamic in terms of a whole new fleet of naval ships coming into the U.S. fleet 
kind of moving forward to really kind of go head to head with China and other adversaries kind of going forward. We're talking to John Harper. He's a managing editor at National Defense Magazine. We're talking about defense issues today, and we're talking about what's going to be happening with the Biden administration when they take power and what defense issues will they be dealing with kind of going forward. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on the Federal News Network. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. George from Federal News Network. If you're just joining us, we're talking about defense issues. We're talking about what's going to be happening when President-elect Biden becomes the president of the United States and takes over all the power of the Defense Department and everything else. He's not necessarily new to defense issues. He's been in the Senate for a long time. He was vice president. He knows what's going on. But we're talking about what are going to be some of his priorities as he begins to inherit a number of different issues that are going on and what the U.S. is contending with. We're talking to John Harper. He's the managing editor of National Defense Magazine. And you can find him at nationaldefensemagazine.org. But we're talking to him about these issues right now. John has been covering these issues for a long time, and he's given us some insight into what can we expect with the Biden administration going into 2021. John, you know, when we kind of talking about the priorities, right, in terms of, of what Biden has to contend with, we had a couple different issues just recently happen in terms of the, the cyber hack with the Russians right there. There has been talk about uh, a changing up the NSA and maybe cyber command, a separation of, of, of duties and everything else. What are we hearing as it relates to the government hack, how it may have impacted the DOD, the Department of Defense? And then also, too, what's going to happen with cyber command kind of going forward? Are there going to be more resources poured into cyber command? Are these resources going to be divided up or what are you hearing? Um, well, you know, with regard to this recent hack um, or the, the hack that was recently revealed, um, you know, involved uh, an IT firm called SolarWinds, you know, just to kind of give uh, listeners some background. And SolarWinds provides software to, you know, thousands of customers, which includes major private sector corporations and U.S. government agencies. And uh, it was, you know, recently revealed that foreign hackers uh, hacked into the code of of one of SolarWinds products called uh, Orion Software, and you know we're able to spy on private companies as well as major uh, U.S. government organizations, and you know that reportedly began uh, as early as March, so you know it went undetected uh, for months and could have exposed you know really sensitive data both in the public and private sector and uh, some. U.S. government officials, uh, including Secretary of State uh, Pompeo, you know, has have accused Russia of being behind it. The Russians have denied it. Uh, you know, President Trump kind of sent out a tweet downplaying the significance and saying it might not have been Russia; it could have been China or or someone else. But uh, you know, at this point, th- there is uh, certainly the allegation that Russia was. Uh, behind it. And, uh, you know, DOD did put out a statement saying that, you know, they hadn't detected a significant breach of its uh, networks. Um, Mm -hmm. Some other government agencies, you know, uh, Homeland Security Department, Treasury Department, you know, were uh, reportedly compromised. But, you know, I think uh, government officials are still trying to really assess the full scope of this breach and what kind of damaged uh, it might have caused. 
Right, right, right. Do you see that in the budget that there's going to be more resources or will there be continually asking for more resources in terms of cybersecurity and creation of more cyber forces, um, you know, getting more people, more uh, warriors, so to say, in, in our military branches? I mean, what can we expect kind of going forward? What do you see? Well, you know, the Trump administration uh, has been, uh, you know, increasing spending on cybersecurity. You know, they gave uh, Cyber Command more, you know, authority to conduct operations against U.S. adversaries. And so, you know, and also, you know, the Obama administration also, you know, made efforts to beef up U.S. cyber capabilities. So this is a long-term trend. Uh, but uh, President-elect Biden has been very clear that, you know, he plans to increase both the uh, capacity, you know, I think just, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, number of personnel uh, involved, et cetera, as well as the capabilities of U.S. cyber forces. You know, and I and I expect there'll be, you know, political support uh, for doing that, uh, especially in light of the recent, you know, solar winds incident. Sure, uh, sure. But already the Pentagon has, has already elevated uh, cyber, uh, you know, to the extent that they view it, you know, now as a warfighting domain on par with air, land, sea, and space. So this already has, you know, a lot of attention. Um, and, and Cyber Command has been raised to a full-fledged, uh, you know, combatant command. Uh, right. So I expect these trends, you know, in terms of more resources being and more attention being put towards cyber, uh, you know, I expect that that will continue and, and perhaps ramp up uh, during the Biden administration. And he said the other day that, it, you know, uh, this could, you know, billions of dollars, you know, of additional dollars uh, might need to be spent on this. So I, I think there'll certainly be more money going toward that. Without question. Hey, John, what's going on with the naval dynamic? I know before uh, 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 Secretary of Defense uh, Mark Esper, before he left, they were working on kind of this battle force uh, 2045 and the naval uh, force study and everything else. What's going on? I mean, I know there has been a very, very big push because there's been a big concern about uh, China becoming a little bit more dominant on the seas. Um, what is right now the dynamic in terms of saying, and, and there has also been a push or concern about our U.S. Navy uh, having a sense of deterioration in terms of our fleet. What is going to be happening on the naval side in terms of force modernization? Well, the uh, Trump administration recently released a new 30-year shipbuilding plan. And typically, you know, the Navy puts that out every year and delivers that to Congress as sort of a blueprint for their uh, long-term force structure and modernization plans. And it normally comes out in the spring around the time uh, that the president's budget request comes out. Uh, this year it was delayed uh, because the office of the secretary of defense at the time, you, you know, uh, former secretary of defense, uh, Mark Esper was, was in charge at the time. Uh, and he appointed his deputy to, lead uh, a new um, naval force study. Um, and that went on for a number of months. And so, you know, a few weeks ago, they finally, you know, based on that kind of un unveiled this new uh, shipbuilding plan. And, um, you know, since the beginning of the Trump administration, there had been a goal to, to increase the size of the fleet. But, you know, some observers have, you know, criticized previous plans as not being aggressive enough. 
so this one calls for, you know, a major ramp up in uh, shipbuilding and expanding the size of the fleet. And certainly Pentagon officials are, are worried about China's naval modernization and how their fleet is expanding. So this is largely an effort to counter that. You know, right now there are uh, just under 300 uh, what the Navy calls battle force ships um, in their fleet. Uh, but this new plan calls for, uh, you know, expanding that to uh, 316, uh, you know, manned uh, battle force ships in the next five years, you know, going all the way up to 347 by 2030, you know, almost 400 by 2040. So, you know, you can really see the upward trajectory on, you know, what they're hoping uh, to achieve for a future fleet. And certainly, you know, there could be some resource challenges there. And it, you know, remains a question uh, as to whether the Navy will be able to achieve that. Um, You know, this proposed buildup would come with a hefty price tag. Um, you know, it, it projects that the annual shipbuilding account would need to increase to, uh, you know, about 34 billion, you know, by the middle of, of this decade. And just to kind of put that into perspective, you know, the current shipbuilding budget is about $24 billion. And it's not just, uh, you know, the costs associated with this uh, aren't just about actually building the ships, you know, they have to uh, man and, you know, sustain and, and operate them and that costs additional money as well. And, you know, that they're projecting that the sustainment funding uh, for the Navy would rise to about 40 billion uh, later in the decade. So there's a huge cost associated with this. Um, And, you know, if defense budgets aren't going to grow significantly, you know, then the, uh, you know, the administration in power will have to, and Congress will either have to ship funds from, the other services or, or other accounts uh, to pay for this. And, you know, it's unclear if the money's actually going to, to be there. And it also depends on, you know, the priorities of future administrations, you know, president elect Joe Biden could easily, you know, reject this plan. I mean, there'll probably be a new one released in the spring. So this might be short lived, you know, but it does kind of give you an idea of where the, the Navy would would like to go. Um, and one thing, you know, I was kind of giving, uh, uh, you know, some projections that were in this, um, shipbuilding plan for manned ships, but it's also very notable that, uh, there's a plan to, uh, really invest, uh, a a lot of, uh, of resources in the unmanned systems, including, uh, unmanned surface vessels, uh, you know, unmanned underwater vessels, so the whole, you know, robotic revolution and advances in artificial intelligence and autonomy, uh, you know, are, uh, are, are really, uh, you know, getting the attention of a lot of officials and, uh, you know, raising the prospect that these additional assets could be added to the fleet and in some ways, you know, might be uh, cheaper to build and operate um, and also keep sailors out of harm's way. So I think there's kind of a a bipartisan consensus that, you know, more money should be put uh, toward these types of systems. So I I expect that that will be something that will continue uh, in the Biden administration. But in terms of this 30-year ship leveling plan, you know, we'll see what comes out next year. It could be different than this 
uh, latest version that was just released. Hey, John, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, you kind of tied into a couple of issues I want to kind of keep on going with. You kind of mentioned about robotics, and I know that, you know, you were covering an area about kind of quantum science, and you've also been looking at robotics before, and also kind of tying into the Defense Department, you know, investing in 5G and maybe even 6G. Maybe you want to talk about those things, because that all impacts about kind of robotics and the use of certain kind of equipment around the world, you know, kind of going forward. And those seem to be certain areas that the Department of Defense are looking at or doing some intense research about right now. There may be some hype in it, but they are looking at those kind of different issues kind of going forward. We're talking to John Harper, and he's the National Defense Magazine Managing Editor. He covers all these issues right now. We're talking about what's going to be happening with the Biden administration in terms of defense, the defense budget, defense priorities kind of going forward once they take office in 2021. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on the Federal News Network. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. If you're just joining us, we have been talking about defense issues. We've been talking about what's going on as it relates to what happens when President-elect Biden becomes President Biden in 2021, and what are going to be his issues going into the new administration kind of going forward? They're inheriting a number of different kind of key uh, 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 kind of in issues that have the Trump administration has been dealing with, whether it be China, uh, whether it be Russia, whether it be cyber, whether it be a number, Iran, and other different things that have been going on over this past four years with this current administration. So they're inheriting all those issues and also looking at the future of what defense is going to do. We're talking to John Harper, who's been covering these issues for many, many different years, and he's given us the updates from his perspective. John Harper is a managing editor at National Defense Magazine. John, you know, when we look at this situation right here, I know there's also been a big discussion about also increasing air power. And then, so I want to tie this in two different areas, John. There's been a discussion about air power, space power, but then also a reduction of nuclear power. What are we looking at with a Biden administration in terms of those three different areas right there? Um, Well, uh, you know, certainly that um, has been a focus of the uh, Trump administration. You know, the Air Force uh, a few months ago revealed that they had, uh, you know, done a a flight test of a next generation uh, fighter aircraft, uh, and that was wrapped in a lot of secrecy and and still is. It's part of what they're calling, you know, their next uh, generation air dominance program. And that's expected to include drones. Uh, they've been working on uh, what they call, you know, a robotic wingman that could accompany manned fighter jets into battle, uh, you know, utilizing uh, artificial intelligence and, and autonomy capabilities. I imagine uh, that that work will continue. Uh, under a Biden administration, you know, as they focus on next generation capabilities, I, you know, I think unmanned platforms, uh, you know, will still be a key focus area. And, you know, with regard to space, you know, we've got the, you know, new Space Force. They recently passed their um, uh, one year anniversary. Uh, I think that will continue to be an area of investment you know, including uh, some, you know, new types of satellite constellations. There's a a big push at the Pentagon to develop, you know, less expensive satellites that could go into low Earth orbit 
and uh, kind of provide some uh, resiliency and, uh, you know, against Chinese or Russian anti-satellite weapons um, and improve communication uh, capabilities um, and reconnaissance capabilities uh, compared to some of the uh, legacy systems that exist today, which are very expensive and, and Pentagon officials believe are very vulnerable. Um, and John, a quick question on the Space Force. Um, I mean, I know it's been rolling out over this past year, and, and many of the different branches had their own kind of, you know, either missile component or space component, whether it be the Army, the Air Force, whatever the case is. Are they grabbing people who used to focus in on space from other branches and then putting them all into Space Force? Is that what the what the game plan? And then, and then will they be recruiting? Uh, and and I, don't, I don't know if this has all been rolled out yet. Will then Space Force begin their own recruitment dynamic kind of going forward as this begins to build? Will that become a whole branch just as the other branches are recruiting their own kind of people? Will they be doing that on the Space Force side? I mean, do we know? Uh, yes, they have been uh, transferring uh, service members from uh, other branches, including the Air Force. Uh, you know, previously, before the Space Force existed, uh, the Air Force oversaw most of the uh, U.S. military's space programs and assets. Uh, so they've been rolling some of those folks in, uh, and they've also started recruiting uh, their own people, you know, directly. So, you know, they're in the process of building up uh, their capacity, uh, both in terms of transferring, you know, existing military personnel into the Space Force, as well as, you know, recruiting from the the general public like the other services do, you know, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. So they're they're bringing in uh, fresh blood, if you will, as well. You know, it's, it's interesting to see if, if all the, I'm, I'm one of them kind of Star Trek junkies. And so it's interesting to kind of see this evolve in real time and kind of see the, the whole dynamic of thinking about there's going to be a USS Enterprise out there floating around in the sky somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do think, you know, maybe in popular culture, there might be a bit of a misconception uh, for what the Space Force is going to be, um, you know, at least um, or what the Space Force is is, you know, in these early stages, it's primarily, you know, managing uh, satellites, you know, not going to be, you know, developing Death Stars or, you know, right. uh, space, you know, manned spacecraft, you know, here in the uh, foreseeable future. That's uh, NASA is still doing, you know, the human space flight aspect of that. So, uh, it, you know, it's primarily, you know, as I said, managing satellites and other right. space-based military capabilities so it's not you know like the apollo astronaut program or right 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 hey what 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 are we going to be seeing with nuclear weapons i know that there's been you know uh some of the nuclear treaties um i know russia's been kind of talking about that kind of stuff about some of this stuff has been either expired and 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 there has been a concern about russia kind of rebuilding some of their nuclear uh capabilities what are we looking at with a biden administration in terms of nuclear I do think that there will be, at least in terms of developing new, uh, you know, equipment uh, on the nuclear front, I, I do think there will be a lot of continuity. Uh, I mean, generally speaking, I think, you know, historically, at least in recent decades, you know, Democrats have been uh, perhaps less enthusiastic than Republicans about building new nuclear systems. But, uh, you know, even the Obama administration, you know, and obviously President Obama, you know, won the Nobel Peace Prize for advocating a 
you know, his vision of a world without nuclear weapons. But even the Obama administration put forth uh, a pretty comprehensive nuclear modernization plan, which included, uh, you know, new stealth bombers, uh, new uh, submarines, uh, new uh, ground-based systems. You know, there are some folks, obviously, who want that to be scaled back, but uh, House Armed Services Committee Chairman uh, Smith, you know, even recently said that, you know, even though there are certain areas where he might like to trim nuclear costs, you know, he still said there's still bipartisan support for uh, going forward with uh, a lot of these programs. Um, The Biden administration might not want to invest as much in uh, some of the uh, you know, low yield nuclear weapons uh, that the Trump administration was promoting. Um, and there was, you know, also talk about a, a new sea launched nuclear cruise missile. And so, you know, those types of things might not go forward, but the, the main things, bombers, submarines, uh, ground-based systems, you know, will still likely go forward. Uh, President-elect Biden has talked about, you know, modernizing the article the uh, nuclear arsenal more cost effectively because it, you know, this will come with a huge price tag. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. congressional budget office estimated that, you know, modernizing and, and operating, sustaining us nuclear forces, you know, over the next 30 years would cost uh, upwards of a trillion dollars. So. Right, 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 right. John, we've got to take another quick break. When we come back, I do want to hit the uh, quantum science. I do want to talk about the 5 and the 6G. We'll take a quick break. We're talking about defense issues and the Biden administration as they begin to take power in 2021. We're talking about where is President Biden going to be focusing on in terms of the budget, the spending, the acquisition uh, of the weapon systems and everything else kind of going forward. We're talking to John Harper. He's a managing editor of National Defense Magazine. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch on the Federal News Network. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch on the Federal News Network. If you're just joining us, we're glad to have you. But we need to want to catch you up on what's been going on. We've been talking about the defense issues as it relates to the president-elect Biden beginning to take office in 2021. What are going to be his priorities? What are going to be some of the key issues that he's going to be dealing with when it comes to defense, uh, you know, whether it be Russia, China, Iran, uh, nuclear weapons, uh, cyber issues, drones, uh, uh, the navies, and, you know, everything else. There's a lot of different things that are going on in defense that the new president will have to contend with as he begins to take office and then kind of go from there with our national security. We're talking to John Harper. He's a managing editor of the National Defense Magazine. They've been covering this for years, and he's given us some insight about what's going to be happening with President Biden as he takes power in 2021. Hey, John, you know, I know you've been covering a couple kind of research and development kind of things right now. Uh, What's been going on in terms of this whole kind of quantum science? I know the Defense Department really kind of dives in deep in terms of research and quantum and, you know, whether it be lasers or whatever the case is. But, you know, what's going on in terms of quantum science? What is DOD doing? Um, well, uh, you know, quantum science is, uh, you know, on the uh, Pentagon's list of its top modernization priorities, you know, and it's uh, believed that it, you know, it could yield some game changing capabilities, um, you know, when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, communications, uh, you know, sensing, 
And John, 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 real quick, provide some backdrop just for people to kind of even be able to visualize what the quantum science is. What, what is that about? Sure. It's a, a pretty complex technology and quantum information science uh, kind of, you know, builds on this idea of, you know, uh, small particles of, of matter and, and uh, energy um, to create, you know, new forms of computing sensing, you know, communications, you know, the science is very, you know, cutting edge, um, you know, it involves uh, small uh, types of matter called uh, uh, qubits. Um, and, uh, it, you know, I'm uh, not a scientist, so I don't want to, you know, get yeah. into nitty gritty. Right, right. It's the stuff that we see on TV, the sci-fi stuff that we see in terms of, you know, the high technology and, and, and these particles being able to do all this really cool stuff. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, it could, you know, officials believe it could potentially yield um, some game changing capabilities, um, you know, in terms of creating new forms of computing, sensing Mm -hmm. and, and communications. Um, So, you know, that would obviously has, uh, you know, military implications uh, for the defense department. Without question, without question. And right now, there's a heavy uh, investment in terms of kind of producing or, or, or working on quantum science right now? Or is that just more, are we over-hyping that, that we're going to be there? Is that going to be like kind of more of a long-term scenario in terms of research and development more than a short-term scenario? Uh, well, it, it certainly is, um, you, you know, a long-term uh, initiative. You know, it's, uh, you know, the Pentagon is kind of faced with, sort of a dual challenge of trying to, you know, manage the hype surrounding uh, quantum, um, you know, and in, in terms of, uh, including in terms of, you know, how quickly the capabilities will be available. Um, you know, certain ones are, you know, perhaps more uh, short term, you know, use cases, you know, could include, uh, you know, atomic clocks and, and quantum sensors that could mm-hmm. be uh, precision navigation and timing, um, you know, to help the U.S. military, uh, you know, coordinate the the movement of its uh, military forces, uh, for example. Um, some of the long-term or, you know, longer-term uh, use cases, um, you know, would be uh, communications, um, uh, um, you know, and that, uh, that type of, uh, sure, 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 sure. Without question, without question. And this, this also ties into 5g. I know there have been concern about 5g as it relates to China and, and, and China kind of having a little bit of the dominance with 5g. What's DOD looking at as it relates to having their own kind of 5g network, but then increasing that band with the 6g kind of going forward. Uh, the defense department is, is certainly, um, you know, keen on this technology. It's one of their top uh, modernization priorities. Uh, you know, a couple months ago, they announced a $600 million initiative for 5G experimentation and testing at a number of uh, different U.S. military installations. And they're working with, uh, you know, the private sector, including a lot of commercial firms that, you know, are also trying to roll out this technology. I'm sure everyone's seen you know, all the commercials by the various wireless uh, uh, carriers, you know, touting their new 5G 
technology, um, and the U.S. military would like to uh, adapt that for its own purposes. Um, uh, you know, to I- improve, uh, you know, command and control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. virtual reality systems, uh, smart warehouses. You know, five G is expected to be much, much faster than uh, today's four G networks, and so right, right, uh, right. The Pentagon's keen on that. Well, I know if if they're pushing for 6G, I know sometimes, you know, our DOD or our Defense Department has sometimes, you know, just like with the Internet, they have been some of the uh, originators of some of this technology. So them pushing towards 6G may take us to a whole new level in the near future. Well, I think uh, 6G, um, you know, is going to be a little further down the line. And um you know, I think the Defense Department kind of, you know, views its role as, um, you know, providing opportunities for some uh, private sector uh, actors to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, sort of, you know, maybe test out or experiment uh, with some of their technology at military installations and also to maybe provide some funding for that. Um, but I think, uh, you know, while they're eyeing 6g and and, you know what comes after 5g um that isn't getting as much focus as uh 5g just because of where the technology is right now i mean 5g is still being you know developed and and rolled out and is in kind of the early stages so they they do have an eye on sort of the you know the long game if you will of what comes after 5g but at this point, you know, I don't think anyone expects 6G to come out in the next couple of years, for example. Right, 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 right. John, listen, we always appreciate your insights. We're going to catch up with you in a couple months after the new administration comes into play and then see what's going on. But we always appreciate you giving the people uh, uh, some insight into what's going on to the world of defense. Thank you so much, John. Thanks for having me on the show, Derek. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at 1 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. Right now, Amazon is offering some amazing extra perks that come with a job offer. If you start a warehouse job, you can get a $1,000 sign-on bonus. That means you start earning a paycheck right away, plus you get extra cash to use before the holidays. Applying is so easy, you don't even need an interview. It's never been so rewarding to start an hourly job that's close to home. So what are you waiting for? To join the team today, visit Amazon.com slash sign-on bonus. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.